Welcome to episode 85 of the Win 6 podcast, official podcast at BehindTheBookPass.com. I'm your host, site expert, Adam McGee, and joining me this week, as per usual, the one, the only, Jordan Tresky. Hello, Jordan. Hello. We come to you on a Monday, most likely, as you're listening to this, um, the day before the election so i don't know we may or may not be back next week but <laughs> this has been an eventful week for the books in its own right isn't that fair to say jordan i would say yes so as a quick recap the books were three and oh for the week after pulling through late against the pelicans Blowing out the Pacers, blowing out the Kings, and then just before we recorded this, they went to Dallas, second night of back to back, put together maybe one of the ugliest games of the decade, we'll say, and lost by eleven points in overtime, which in itself takes takes some doing to be all square. With five minutes to play and then lose by 11. So, overall, look, a three in one week. I think it will be a good thing in the long term. Four and all would have been too much. Books fans were losing the run of themselves in the same way that <laughs> Jabari needed to be traded a week ago. Even though that's, I think, where people have got back to now. But this is just... This is, this is the books. This is what it's like the equivalent of like uh, you're not knowing you're at a whack-a-mole and you're like starting to get through. Like I see the lights, it's coming, we're ready, and then you just get hit with like a sledgehammer. What situation do you not know you're in a whack-a-mole? Well, I mean, <laughs> there's I can. Go on and on about that. Well, we, we won't. We'll, we don't want to bore people with that long story. So, to build a big enough whack a mole where someone's full head and body has to fit through a box, I mean, there's a lot of construction needing to be built for that. So, yeah, practicalities to be figured out. Yeah. Before we get bogged down in both Whack-A-Mole and tonight's loss to Mavericks. We're going to take a, a, I guess, a more 
general, a broader look at the week overall. All of this is going to be revisiting what we talked about last week because week one wasn't so great for the books. And our last game aside, they figured a lot of out this week. And still above 500, record of four and three, and plenty of calls for our optimism for the season moving forward. Compared to where we were this time last week, even before that, heading into the season, this is the Middletonless books, four and three through seven games. What can we complain about? We'll find a way. We'll always find a way. <laughs> Let's get down to finding a way. Um, <laughs> we'll start off with talking about the offense, which this section of the podcast probably would have been very different if we recorded this like three hours ago. Um, because prior to tip in Dallas this evening, the books were, they were in around the top five anyway, in offensive rating, which all things considered was pretty wild. Um, by your recollection, you, you, think they were around 106 in I want to say it was like 108.6 uh, yeah I'm not looking at what it was right well just just to put in perspective how well their Sunday night game went their offensive rating is now down at 102.9 which has them 16th in offensive rating so quite a big tumble we're not talking about boy george we're we're definitely not talking about boy george well you said tumble yeah it's a word but it's also okay it was that culture club that thing there jordan's on form tonight unlike the books (laughs) i'm glad one of us showed up It's a pity you couldn't show it up in Dallas, isn't it? No. I mean, I I feel confident you could have taken Jason Terry's four quarter minutes. I would have been honored. <laughs> the offense to to focus in on. First of all, let's get tonight's part of it out of the way. Should we give a little bit of leeway in judging the offense tonight, considering? Yanis was in foul trouble for all of the first and second quarter. Jabari found himself in foul trouble a little bit as well. Basically, the rotations from the get-go were thrown off of what had worked to get the offense that point before now. Yeah, I would. I, I mean, it's kind of... There's two sides to it. Obviously... The rhythm was disrupted when Giannis gets two fouls, what was it, in minute 37 seconds? Less less than two minutes. Less than two minutes. And even though they braved through it and looked pretty solid in the first quarter, uh, obviously that fell apart. So I would say, and just the fact that they were turning over the ball so much, what did they finish with, like 27 turnovers, 28 maybe? I mean, even when they had – 27. 27 turnovers, even when they had – and let's not act like the Mavericks were <laughs> precious with the ball too. Like the Bucks were forcing turnovers, and when they would, you know, run in transition, they would just be 
terrible decision making. I mean, Tony Snell, it was an adventure watching Tony Snell handle the ball in any way it was safe. Um, Tony Snell dribbling reminds me of Damari Carroll dribbling. Even yes, perfect. Damari has gotten better at it, but yeah. say back in his days with the Hawks, the Damari Carroll dribbling experience was quite something, and that's exactly what Tony Snell was like tonight. Mm-hmm. He has a he had a few like oh like that's pretty solid for the most part like the one that sticks sticks out of my mind is that. The charge where it looked actually like he like hurt his knee pretty badly, like he knocked it up against I want to say West Matthews, but he just literally was not looking anywhere. He had supreme tunnel vision. You don't see a player like just fall straight down on their face quite yeah. like he did from that play. It was just like it was like the ground, like this huge like portal like opened up and he just like fell in. <laughs> like he fell in like a sewer. I don't know. Why would there be a sewer out in the middle of a basketball court? Anyway. Um I mean for tonight's game it would have been appropriate. It was, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, anyway, so you have the Mavericks game where it literally just hell on earth. <laughs> I decided it was hell on earth. And then but you have the last three games where, you know, Three-point explosion. They broke the three-point attempt record Tuesday under the, under Jason Kidd. Was it Tuesday or Thursday? Could have been Tuesday. Tur- was and it on they- Thursday when Toledovic went off the Pacers game? No, 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 no. He went off against the Kings, but they did it. They had 32 attempts against the Pelicans, I want to say, and then the Kings, they broke it again with 33 attempts. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Too many games. Too many games, yeah. But anyway, their offense looked really smooth, finding shooters in transition. Uh, Giannis and Jabari really, you know, standing out. Um, but then again, you're going against teams like the Pelicans, who aren't really great defense. I mean, they're not a great team in general, but not a great defense. Pacers are having their own defensive struggles. Kings, obviously – it's you can never figure out what's wrong with the Kings except that there's many things wrong with the Kings <laughs> at all times. But uh, I I don't know. I, I think it was encouraging to see that the the way that they're performing the last three games, um, and how the offense. I mean, there were six in the league before the Mavericks game, and you know, really efficient, all that stuff. But what was what would it look like against tougher competition? Even an average defense, you know, maybe just a middling defense. Like they were well, going I mean, against Pelicans. Pelicans are a top ten defense at the moment. No, oh, that's so... Mavs are sixth, which the books probably helped them out a little bit with their defensive writing. Um, but yeah, I, I know what you're saying. The, the teams that's that is the big thing where even after the Kings game, I think the place where every Bucks fan would have to find themselves was, well, are the Bucks this good or has the schedule been this soft? And that's really, that's the thing we still don't know. And it'll be probably a couple of weeks before we really get a handle on that. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing I guess I take away from that is going to count for their offense, going to count for their defense. And that's, that when the books are confident, 
they'll be able to do pretty much whatever they want. And I think there's going to be real value in the books stringing wins together at times in the season. I hope this isn't the last time we see them win three in a row, win two in a row. They need to do that. And I think with this young team, this is something I spoke about sort of towards the latter part of preseason and ahead of the season that their schedule was pretty light early on. And if they could play some good basketball and get confident, then anything could happen with this group. And I feel that happens in games. That's like the Pacers game where you have Jabari make four trees. And all of a sudden, the whole offense takes off. And even it's if you want to... a lot of it's against the Kings. Like, that's what kind of set them free, I guess. The birds freeing from their cages. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, but even... Like, the, the reason I take Jabari is because that's the one... That's Teletovich was brought here to do that. Yeah. But then for Jabari, you see that carryover where even if it's not three pointers, look at how he started the Mavs game. Mm-hmm. And how when Yanis first went to the bench with, his, with foul trouble, the book survived and actually did really well because Jabari was so confident. Anytime he was given the space to shoot a jumper from sort of mid range to just inside the three point line. No problem. He'd knock it down. And he's he's always had that range, but it's confidence is a big factor in it. I really think for the books, it's just when they get get a bit of a run going, that's where they're gonna be at their most dangerous. And when they don't have momentum, <laughs> I think things could sort of fall apart and look pretty ugly in a hurry. I think we saw that even the games to start the season. And I feel the books will be very much like that when it's one game on, one game off in terms of wins and losses. Mm-hmm. In terms of the style of play offensively, what's the biggest thing you're drawing from it so far that compared to last year, this is the difference maker? I mean, it's the most obvious one is probably just spacing three-point shooters is there anything well, else mean, jumping out or is it is it just really all on the willingness to take more trees and the ability to make more trees and this probably just is a boring answer but I, I honestly really think that it is i mean we don't even have to use last year's a frame of reference we could just look at the first three games i mean they were the Nets game, obviously, they I, – I mean, that might be an outlier, but, like, the game against the Pistons, game against the uh, the Hornets, the opening game. I mean, their offense is just such a bore to watch. It was so – it was so sluggish, and even when, uh, you know, that's probably when Delhi was, like, really stood out in those games the most for me. Um they, they just, like, it was be Giannis, and obviously Jabari had his kind of, you know, inconsistencies there. But it was just really, I don't know, it was just a bore. It was really a slog to watch, really. And then the Pelicans game was like a switch turning on. And uh, obviously the switch uh, was quickly turned off at about 11 minutes in the second quarter. Maybe a little deeper into that tonight. But uh the first, I mean, the games against Pelicans, Pacers, Kings, it was just, 
I don't know what it was, but it just looked like a you know a revamped offense and with the kicker be with the you know kicker being the shooters three point shooters are going or three point shots are falling and going at a high volume. And I don't know, I, it's a boring answer, but it really was just a matter of if they're making three point shots, it's another thing the defense has to respect, and then it opens up everything else for them. Yeah, well, I think the the biggest part of that is the three-pointer is never going to be the book's biggest strength, mm-hmm. but there's nothing that's going to open up opportunities for them to use their greatest strength more than the three-pointer will. Yes, exactly. That's, that's exactly what happened against the Kings, where and I, I like the Kings this year, so I sort of felt like people saying, oh, well, this is just the Kings. I didn't buy into that. I, I think on that sort of night, I don't and know. And they were also without Rudy Gay. We had to they say. were without Rudy Gay, who's been playing out of his mind. But mm-hmm. I, I just think on that sort of night, the books could go toe-to-toe with the very best teams in the league and win. If Mertz is going to go seven from nine from deep so that teams have to go out and close him and they're leaving space for Yanis and Jabari, who were both really on their game on that night, if you have the combination of those two things, I don't know how you beat the Bucks. Mm-hmm. Because in that scenario, their offense is going to be as good as anyone in the league. Now, if we see that three times this season, we might be lucky because that was a pretty special night for sort of those combined factors. The big thing for me that I sort of had a feeling about from... The first three games, true to what we'd seen for most of this week. And then after watching the Mavs game and when it started to fall apart, it was about five minutes in the second quarter. There are five and a half minutes. I think the Bucks went scoreless. The Mavs ran off a 15-0 run to really turn the game around. The difference for me and when the Bucks play out of their mind well and just horribly bad comes to players moving it just if if they get static and they don't actually create space it just falls apart and in the Mavs game what I feel happened with that was Giannis was on the bench for pretty much all of the second quarter and might be wrong but I feel Jabari went to the bench briefly in around that time and the problem was that when the offense is flowing, Giannis is on the court. Delhi will play off ball, and Delhi will provide a lot of that movement. And once he moves, other guys move. But when Delhi was handling it, you had, like, say, Snell, Beasley, maybe Jason Terry even for, for a bit at that time, uh, probably Brogdon for some points of it. But you had Delhi sort of circling around trying to create something and no one moving to create any options yeah. for him. And when that happens, that's where Delhi not being one of the most skilled playmakers in the NBA is going to come to bite you. Mm-hmm. You've got to move to create those opportunities. And when the book stop doing that, it all falls apart. Mm-hmm. That for me is really the biggest thing. Watching the, watching the Mavs game was the first time I looked at it and I said to myself, MCW would be perfect for 
that sort of environment you're laughing don't get me wrong i'm not saying what that sounds like i'm saying but just in terms of if Giannis gets in foul trouble if Giannis picks up some minor injury that means he misses a game or two they are really missing a point guard who can just do something and allow Delhi to play off ball a little bit more we'll get the best of him um because if you don't give options great i mean you can't blame him when turnovers go up and it just doesn't quite work out as well i'm about to whisper a name that i would never have whispered before michael beasley yeah <laughs> that's exactly what i was gonna say even uh, brogdon brogdon would, i mean i mean no. brogdon's great but we'll talk about all the guys in more detail later but yeah. with with beasley Beasley has been great. I'm not great. He really has. And people yeah. people take it as, oh, look at that terrible long two he's missed. He's making over 50% of his shots. And he, <laughs> he, is, he is exactly what he is. Like, he's going to take those shots. Yeah. But if he makes over 50%, he's going to give you the kind of instant offense you need. He's rebounding pretty well still. Mm-hmm. It's very, the, it's very hard to I mean, it's it's basically compared to last year when the books had like Johnny O'Brien in that role. It's like, do you want Beasley to come in and put up eight shots in ten minutes? Well, if he's gonna make four of them, why not? It's really like that's that's a good thing that they need that sort of offense when something happens and. He was one of the bigger puzzles, not the biggest of what eventually played out in the Mavs game. But that's because in the second quarter and sort of the first quarter, he was the one who came in when Yanis got in foul trouble. Like, Beasley played 10 minutes overall, three or four from the field, one of one from three, three rebounds, one steal, plus eight in terms of plus minus. I think that's the only time he's been a positive this season. Yeah, but then that is probably the only time he's played with most of the starters for any yeah, that's true, yeah. lengthy spell. So he's he's always going to have a little bit of that problem. I just – he is what he is, and we don't need to go into our feelings. I mean, we've, we have a whole podcast where we react to that. There is a, There actually is a role for him, though. I know. I totally agree. I know it's – everything I say about Beasley gets tinged with – my uh opening remarks opening remarks opening reaction to the trade but i do he does fill a role for them and even though like we come away every night like oh it's you know negative plus minus or whatever he's still like you say he's been really efficient even though those are not pleasing shots uh aesthetically to uh change that ba he's still pretty efficient doing so yeah, that's. Yeah. I, I feel like it's the same thing with it's. Like it's get, I'm not, we get offended, and not just us, we, but we get offended by the style, and we overlook the substance. And what he's yes. actually been doing so far has been really good. It's yeah. for for a bench player coming in on the contract he's on as well. Remember, I mean, you can't really ask for more than that. He mood paints his fingernails. Well, we get that later. We've just we've mailed by question on that. We oh, we do. Later. Wow. <laughs> 
So we we will we will get to Michael Blasey's fingernails. I can you, only imagine what, it is. what, are, what are the color what color are my fingernails after that Mavericks loss? Red. I'd, I I'd guess <laughs> I'd guess blue. I mean that would make sense. Because I'm blue and the Mavericks are blue. Exactly. No, actually they're uh they're white. I don't I don't paint my fingernails. Oh, I, I didn't realize we were talking about you painting your fingernails. Be careful. There might be a Twitter movement for that. If no, you... we're not doing every. No. Why did I bring this up? Any other <laughs> aspects of the offense that have stood out to you? What about how they've used centers in the offense? And I guess Monroe versus Plumley are the differences in their minutes on the floor. As in the differences in how the books are playing when Monroe's on the floor as opposed to Plumley or even Hanson. I feel it's hard to get a read on Hanson because Hanson gets out there with some of the weirdest groups <laughs> and either does really well or horribly. And there's just no real in between where Plumley is living in the in between. Hanson, Hanson is like the 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 equivalent of like mood painting your fingernails. Like you never know what you get. Like what he's gonna offer. <laughs> you know I mean? uh, um, but anyway, to answer your question, uh, I'm assuming this also includes like minutes distribution, all that stuff. The whole kind of. Uh, I'm just more interested in. I mean, we don't need to do the whole center debate of what, yeah. sort of where each guy stands, but just in terms of how the books look when X guy's on the floor as opposed to Y, what, what do you feel about how the offense is running when Monroe is in there? For example, I'm just I'm looking at the box score tonight, and I didn't even notice this, obviously, because there was lots of horrible things going on. News <laughs> had a double-double. He was 14 and 12. With three steals again. Five yeah, turnovers, I mean, which is not so great. How many turnovers? Four? Five. Um, but 14 and 12 on five of 10 from the field and four, four, four from the free throw line. I mean, Greg Monroe's free throw shooting is pretty spectacular. Mm. He is at 92.3% for the season right now. Wow. I, I want to say that's like. Kind of remember when Bayless had his free throw streak going? Yeah. Was that last year or the that year? That was last year, yeah. That was okay. last year? <laughs> that was how bad last year was. That was one of the bright spots. <laughs> David, Jared Bayless is a 50. He's made his last 50 free throws. Whoa. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, a, free that's impressive. Come on, Jordan. That's impressive. I know, but that's – I'm just saying that, that show, tells you, like – we were searching for anything that worked last year. What's <laughs> Jared Bayless making his last 50 free throws? Anyway, to answer your question, because I keep getting distracted. By yourself. By that light, by that light outside. I don't know. Um, I would say I, it's hard to really say plumbly because he's mostly played with the starters. And that starting, the starting lineup of Deli, Snell, Giannis, Jabari Plumley has been really good. Um, so again, it's I think it's like rehashing the whole Plumley debate where it's fits him well. We know what he is at this point, and he fits him well with the 
that sort of lineup where, you know, it's just replaced now with Middleton. You're trying to get the, the lineup that you wanted last year or replace now with Middleton and replace Delhi with Bayless. And it's trying to create that uh, style of lineup from last year. Um, Monroe, it's for me, it's really, it's been impressive how well he's played considering, you know, he's unlike Plumley, he's been <laughs> played with all sorts of different kind of lineups. He's played with the starters. He's played with, you know, Guys like Beasley, uh, Toledovich, Toledovich and him, like surprisingly, that works. Obviously, offensively, you think that would work well, considering they're, you know, they can play off each other a little bit. But defensively, it's actually worked really well, um, that pairing. Um, so he's actually kind of like had the hardest job, I would say, of outside of Giannis, of trying to maintain consistency playing with all these different players and obviously offensively it's been tough it's been a little tougher considering you know those he's backing down and he kind of gets stuck misses a couple bunnies you know he'll have nights where he was like a gets the paces where he was you know 16 6 or 16 16 and 6 really efficient all that stuff but Especially, again, like we were talking about last year, or last year, last week, it's been really impressive how he's maintained playing really competent defense um, and through so many different lineups, too. Like, it's, I don't know, it just, it's, again, it's really, you could tell he's finding his rhythm on that, on I mean, that it's, side of the floor. It's contract year, Greg Monroe. Yes. Like, let's not gloss over. Like that is really that's if if he really is backing himself and he and he does want out, which he may well want out. And if that's the way he's thinking, he's like, okay, well, let's go out and let's prove everyone I'm worth more than I'm currently on, so I can opt out and get somewhere better next year. Mm-hmm. And it could get to a weird place for the books where we're all going towards the end of the season. Damn, I mean we really need Greg Monroe to opt in. And that would be incredibly strange. It'd be, it'd be in keeping with everything else books related. His number is like per 36. He's top four on points, rebounds, assists and steals. I want to say it's very impressive. He's just bringing so much energy it's hard to get your head around it. Mm-hmm. It really does sort of make you go, well, how much easier would everything have been if last year he was like that from the start of the season? Could other things have worked out? There's a whole host of sort of interesting hypotheticals that could have come out of that one. Rotations. On last week's podcast, we were highly critical of kids' rotations. We said there was no, I guess, no real clear thought process to the group. Coherent. The floor. They, they definitely weren't coherent. And mm-hmm. they were somewhat archaic and old-fashioned. There was no real staggering. 
And in the next game after we had that conversation, would have been the Pelicans, Kid changed things up and he came to a shape to the rotation that although he seems happy to rotate which which bench guys play where, he's sticking with the same general idea. Foul trouble permitting, I might add. Um, <laughs> we'll get to we'll get to the Mavs game at the end of this, but as a postscript, <laughs> if we take the three-game winning streak, your thoughts on the rotation and that span on Giannis coming out first around seven-minute mark, coming back at around the three-minute mark, is that? What do you feel the best way for the rotation to be staggered is? I would say yes. Um, and kind of include Delhi in that too. because Or maybe maybe there's just that one, the Pelicans game. I mean, I'm forgetting at the moment. But I just remember Delhi going out at that time. Anyway, um, I would say yes. Because I think guys like Toledovich, who has been... I oh, barring tonight, coming in before heading into the game tonight, he's Giannis and Toledovich have been really well together, worked well together. Monroe, I mean, again, it, it kind of goes back to what I was talking about with Monroe, getting that balance kind of, even though Giannis isn't this, you know, uh, elite defensive player, uh, you know, he's above average defensive player, but having his you know, instincts and obviously length, wingspan, all that stuff. Having him on the floor with a guy like Monroe, who's played really well defensively, it's just another kind of, I guess, a security blanket, maybe, I don't know, to have him on the floor. I don't know. But anyway, uh, I would say it just, I don't know. It it's works. It worked in the three games uh, before tonight. Um, and I, I still think it's going to work in the future because having, I don't know, it just works in my opinion. I even feel that was part of the reason why they were able to kick on when Yanis got in early foul trouble in the Mavs game. It was almost like, well, this is no big deal. We're used to this until mm-hmm. it got to a stage where that sort of first rotation had to be broken up and something different. Like it, yeah. it sort of fell apart when Giannis comes back in the second, gets a quick foul. I can't remember. I don't know if that foul was even caught on the broadcast. When I was watching, I sort of felt it, like I mean, it just it came back and Paschke was like, Yeah, that's a soft third foul on Giannis. So I'm going it, it it all sort of kept together the shape of the rotation up until that point, and then when it completely had to be rearranged. It was like yeah. a house of horrors. Yeah. Yeah, it was like stuck in a labyrinth. It was it was the end of the shining. Yeah, I like that. That was that's a good analogy for we won't talk about who Jason Terry is in the shining based He's on not that. Scab Man Crothers. I know people are instantly <laughs> <laughs> But the and the game of course is the equivalent of the elevator, you know, doors are bursting open or opening and <laughs> just spilling everywhere. I can't get this 
damn game out of my head. It's and it's going to be stuck there until Thursday. I mean, that's the thing. I know. That's the well, worst thing about have They could have had this sort of few days off on a high after uh, some really good play, but they are going to have that break in the action coming off of the loss. The moral of the story is don't let your guard down when it comes to the Bucks. We all let our guard down. And... Yeah, I, I bet on the Bucks tonight. And... That this just it's this is life coming back to bite you, and you just get a little bit too carried away. You should never bet on the books, uh, never believe in the books. Sometimes, I mean, you can watch the books, but generally, the books and never just go well together. Mm-hmm. Never trust the books, much like the Hawks. <laughs> Let's get into some of the players individually. This is probably where we're going to find a lot more positives to talk about, where we might be able to wash away some of the memories of the game against the Mavericks. We'll start off with Yanis. Obviously, his last game of the week was something of a disaster. was probably a reminder of there are some things to still be figured out and they don't have as much to do with his with his abilities anymore than sort of his mental makeup or his discipline or his decision making that's the areas where there's still maybe things that need to be worked out for Yanis. overall though he had a pretty impressive week what's your standout moment for for Yanis over the past seven days good god I don't think I can pick one. It's honestly, it was four to nine. Even even he had a couple highlights today, too. Despite all the misery and woe that was <laughs> this game, but uh, I mean, the behind the back pass to Jabari, his pin down block, taking up uh, an open floor, hitting Plumley for a bucket. Um, single, not single-handedly, but really made Paul George like <laughs> I, I, Paul George that that night against the Bucks was. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen Paul George struggle that defensively in a long time um, when he was against Giannis. Um, I don't know, like it, it was just, it was a really good week. Before tonight, um, and I don't know. It was like, yeah, just crazy. He had he's literally. It's impossible to like put like or pick one of like thirty or so highlights he has in three games or something like that. Like he just reels them off like it's nothing. You know? It's pretty pretty spectacular. I feel like his his control over the ball generally has got a lot better. Ironically, the area where it sort of hurts him the most is in the open court, yeah. which is where his biggest highlights come and also his biggest mistakes, mm. whether that's just recklessly charging into opposing defenders, as we saw in Dallas, or it's sort of trying to drive all the way and then sort of a skip, dish a skip pass over some guy's head for an open shooter and ends up 
sort of throwing it into an opposing defender's hands for like a pick six. Mm -hmm. When he now has time to set it, he's so much more comfortable though. I want to say this was on Saturday night against the Kings. Oh, where, wow. Where he had the, the play where he was basically like, Hunkered right over, dribbling along the ground. It was like bodies. it was like Raper Alston on like an and one mixtape. <laughs> that's that's a very good description of it. Yeah, that was insane, and that was something that I just I just didn't really associate with Giannis being able to do. When you because because when you think of his size and his length, you don't think of someone who's sort of ball control is that tight that they just have it on a string quite like that. They were handles that not many guys in the league possess. I thought that was sort of fun. And he's seven. He's all, he's a seven footer too. That's what's insane. He was he's doing that as a seven footer and a keeping in control of the ball like that. But I mean, I mean, if if Isaiah Thomas did that, if he like was bending down to get through a crowd of bodies, you'd be like, wow, that was impressive. Yanis yeah. doing it is just insane. Yeah. He hunches down and he's probably taller than me. Well, I'm kind of tall. But, um, How tall are you, Jordan? I believe I'm six one. Wow. Or well, that's American. American. <laughs> that's on our side of the pond. Well, uh, what? What? Because you go by centimeters. No, we don't really. Not for height. Not for height. No, like I'm I'm five eleven. Oh. Hmm. I, I thought you might have had a different feet and inches there where you're like, oh, well, if I came over there, you know, I'm 5'8". <laughs> Their foot is there like uh, 13 inches. No, I thought it was more the centimeter thing. The whole centimeters thing is a little bit of a... I mean, the metric system is is here, but it's more of a central European thing. Mm. I feel like that's part of, part of the... It's, it's a little bit of a myth that I mean, in the UK, they still like good old-fashioned feet and inches, and sort of we roll with that too. So you're, you'd be six one here too. I want to say, Jordan. Oh, there we go. But yeah, I, I think you're probably six one and a half. Now that I think about it, six one and a half. Gonna... Well, I wasn't bringing half into it because I get upset. Get to boost it up a little I'm, bit. I'm, I'm just below six foot, and it's tragic. Oh. But yeah, I think that would be quite a stoop for Yanis to get down to six <laughs> one, even so. Maybe I think you might be right on that one. Yeah. <laughs> is turnovers generally is that a concern for you? Yeah, just because after the All Star break, we weren't talking about it. Well, if we were talking about it, it was the fact that he's handling the ball more, his usage rate is going up, and his turnovers are going down. How is that possible? And so far, that's been the opposite. Uh, so I don't know. I, again, I think you kind of hit the head where the area where you think that he wouldn't be turning over the ball or, you know, making kind of eh, decisions. Um, he, has been, he, needs to, he needs to learn when he has to slow down. Yeah. I, again, that, that's, that's similar to like Jabari. They're both, Cut from that same cloth in that respect, where it's again you kind of yeah they're cut from the same cloth. I guess it's it's tough because they know that the best of what they do comes in transition. So 
it's it's really just an over eagerness to get out and make the great play and then you end up doing something stupid and giving the ball away. Yeah. Moving on from Yanis. Let's go to Jabari. A week ago, everyone was up in arms. I'm saying everyone. If you're not one of the everyone, good. You're like me, and I respect you. But everyone was up in arms. They was not to... one of them. They, you could have just silently accepted my oh, disclaimer respects. there. You paid respect. <laughs> everyone was up in arms. <laughs> and they wanted Jabari Parker traded. And then he comes out and he has a really good scoring week. I feel even to describe it as that does it a service. Um, through seven games now, Jabari's averaging 17.6 points, 6.1 rebounds, two assists, just under a steal a game, while shooting 48.5 from the field and 38.5 from three. 88.9% from the free throw line. Not far off 50-40-90 on those... Uh, Shooting lines at the moment. I want to say is oh maybe he's maybe he's not doing that right now, but I want to say who I have it here. Give me the name. Is it Delvado? No, he's not. His three point percentage is down. No, and his field goal percentage. Oh no, yeah, it is kind of down. Floaters. There's there's one book who could be doing that, but they're blown <laughs> on the free throws. Tom, Tom Maker. Tom Maker's, uh, Tom Maker's oh, a 75%, 66.7%, 50%. Basically, the closer it gets, the more difficult it is for Tom. Which actually actually makes sense, considering his body frame. Um, mm. For Jabari, though, what what's your feeling being? After the slow start, after the struggles... Has it felt like sort of normal service resumed? But we thought he could be this season before things tipped off. Is there still major worries for you? Or um, again, I'm trying to get this Mavericks game out of my mind. Uh, so I may it's putting more grains of salt than I normally would have in my head. I don't put. I didn't do that. Um, but anyway, uh, I would say it's it's not what I expected, but it's what I wanted, if that makes sense. It's to see him be more confident as a jumper, money, like similar to Buck's three point shooting, uh, the, you know, Kings, Pelicans, Pacers game. It's that opened up him you know, attacking the basket in half-court sets or something like that. And obviously the Pacers game going four for six, uh, opening up the game pretty much with a three-pointer. Uh, I mean, it was just really – it was thrilling to watch to see him kind of – you could just – again, like it was similar to Rashad Vaughn going off last week Saturday. You could just see his confidence start rising. He's starting to take more risks – risks where he wouldn't have uh last year uh with his shot um so yeah i think 
you want to see a little bit more of it. Uh, I know, again, the Mavericks, they kind of uh, resorted to this stuck in kind of different gears. And when it's haven't been your day, your week, your month, or even your year. I just organically <laughs> just the people I, who read like Jordan's pieces uh, you might have noticed that all his Jordanisms are now they're, they're working his way into his writing and I just yeah, I'm like I'm like Jabari in that way where I start to feel you start, my way around. To feel with your shot yeah and yeah. it's just and it's eventually, like, it's gonna be me. It's gonna be me, like Mirza Lajia from like well, before, like not even half court shots, like around the opposing teams, like paint. And I'm just going wrong. Uh. Anyway, I was saying something about Jabari, but I can't get back on it because yeah, uh, because you just you completely forgot your points just to get that. That's what we should just end the podcast there. That would, that, it's not gonna be I'm sure there are plenty better. of people listening who are thinking that too. Oh, yeah. Most people. I, I've, you've killed me too. I mean, I, I don't know where to go from here. Well, I've how done. have you thought about Jabari in the last I've been very impressed. I mean, as much as you talk about the Mavs game, his start to the Mavs game had all the other things you wanted him to do. Just mm-hmm. as the game progressed, he sort of went away from. I don't know. It was nearly like he wasn't sure which Jabari to be. He wasn't exactly having success with being. with going with his instincts, is probably the best way of putting it, and trying to drive to the rim. He wasn't getting anywhere with that. I want to guess he was clever enough as well to be slightly off put by the amount of charges the Mavs were getting out of Bucks drives to the rim maybe that impacted on the way he was attacking later in the game I, I don't know I think he's shown everything you want to see from him offensively I think is he going to still have horrible defensive possessions in a game yeah but for me, he's been a lot better than last year. Mm-hmm. Still, okay, lapses of concentration, not just getting it. They tend to really hurt when he's off ball and the play sort of comes to his side of the floor. But Jabari's on-ball defense is a lot better than I've ever seen it before. I feel like yeah. the one really glaring exception of that was he tried to like set a screen when Wes Matthews was like Wes Matthews was one on one with him. Is this I thought it was at the third or fourth quarter, definitely second half. And Wes Matthews was sort of sizing him up from the top of the arc. And Jabari literally, like, it, it was like he was setting a screen on no one. And Wes Matthews kind of looked at him and went, uh, okay, and then just sort of breezed past him to the rim. Really strange. But otherwise, I mean, active hands, he's getting steals, he's helping the books to get out in transition. I feel Jabari's at 0.9 steals per game. At the same time, I don't think anyone else has had greater involvement in steals that probably haven't been credited to them. It's been quite a few where it's like, say, I can remember a couple of Jabari and Yanis, a couple of Jabari and Brogdon, a couple of Jabari and Monroe, where 
Jabari might be the on-ball defender and he's done pretty solid job. And then when the help comes, they force a turnover. For me, it's been all positive this week. I mean, got to remember who we're talking about, what age he's at, where he's at in terms of his NBA career. What else could the Bucs want? If Giannis is Giannis and he's, I guess, the stud that he's shown he can be on both ends of the floor, if Jabari can do what he's been doing consistently, well, then that's perfect. I mean, you don't really need a whole lot more than that. And I think that's easy to gloss over and forget now. But just think of, say, Yanis and Jabari combining for like 40 points, 14 rebounds, eight assists. And then next year, Chris Middleton's production coming in on top of that and having a capable bench. You really just don't need that much for everyone. You don't need 30 points and lockdown defense from every guy. And I would hope the last week, particularly the three-game win streak, would prove to the, to a lot of Bucks fans that this team can win with bad defense. Yeah. And there are plenty of good teams that I mean, they managed to do that. Obviously, if the question is, are you going to be a championship team? That's difficult to be a championship team when you're poor defensively. Mm-hmm. But say if you look at recent seasons the Rockets have had, the Rockets have not been a good defensive team. But they can go and score 116 to 125 points a night, win 50-plus games, and be a playoff team that's good enough that, you know what, if a few breaks went their way, they could have got to this place. And if Giannis is good enough as sort of a number one option where he's going to be perennial all-star, all-NBA team kind of guy, a Jabari and a Middleton and the production they bring either side would be perfect. And I still think as the season goes on, we're going to see Giannis' points come back a little bit and Jabari's kick on that little bit extra. There's a lot still to shake out. But overall, I've been pretty happy with what I've seen for Jabari, definitely in the last seven days. Yeah, and that's a this might bring on a bigger discussion, but the whole kind of panic and uh you know what happened after it the last you know few games, it kind of like crystallized for me like this thought about like Giannis obviously is this all-around force that the Bucks can build around. And for Jabari, trying to fit in around that, it's such it's a you know, first of all, it's a challenge for him to do that because he hasn't really done that ever, uh, from what we know of him playing basketball. And for me, obviously Giannis, we've seen what Giannis, his effect on the team uh without Jabari uh to where it is now where he's literally every player he plays with has a positive effect with him on the floor and for Jabari it's kind of trying to fill in it's such a harder job to try to fill in around that and try to play as you know be the this offensive like catch-all where you're doing driving the basket trying to get to the free throw lane or free throw line, um, hitting three point shots effectively, all this stuff. Like, I feel like even though Giannis is 
a lot more to juggle with, like just playmaking duties, all that stuff. It's kind of harder for Jabari to fit in what is to a role that we can understand so well, like that. Oh, like he can't. He needs to be able to do this around Giannis. Yeah, and, I, I think it's part of that that Giannis does so much across the court that Jabari is asked to pick up more to make up for any sort of offensive deficiency Giannis has. Yes, yeah. And yeah. you're right, that isn't really – it's not really fair. It's not necessarily wise either. I mean, they've got a sort of – I feel the best way for the team to treat them right now and for fans to treat them and look at it is – Yes, they could be this great duo. They could be a great trio at Middleton. But at this point in their career, you should sort of view them and treat them objectively as their own guys. With Where was their skill set at last season, last month, last week? And what are they doing now with it? I think mm-hmm. that's a real key. The books are sort of figuring out the shape and the type of team they're going to be. And where we've gone through this in the past, the difference is... They now have a lot of guys locked down for the next three years, longer in the case of some. So, say, if the offense does perform at a level like we were seeing before the Dallas game, or even, I mean, where it is now after the Dallas game, it's still sort of middle of the pack, which is very different to where it was last year. That's who the books will be. And... With that, Jabari could get better as time goes on. But what I've always found amusing with, I guess, the idea, and I don't really put a lot of credence in it, um, I think anyone who just stops and thinks won't get to this point, but the idea of, well, they should trade Jabari or what's what's they need to, they need to get something from now. Uh, this is the one that I see everywhere. I must have seen 20 different people tweet this after tonight's game is they need to tweet him now before or they need to trade him now before other teams find out like find out what jabari could go to a team that has really great spacing packed with three-point shooters and straight away slot in as like a 26 point per game score and the books will be mired in mediocrity forever and they deserve it while they watch jabari go off and become an absolute star in the league it's like this team has been bad to average forever. And if you want to stay there, it, the sort of mindset to take is, well, oh, this 21-year-old who's in the second half season, he doesn't defend well enough. He's not a perfect fit for Giannis. Let's move on. Don't be ridiculous. Take it for what it is, what he is. And I feel the books are doing that themselves and that's really all that matters in this. And they're going to take their time with it and they're going to trust yeah. in them. And overall, if they do that, I think it's the team and the fans, maybe undeservedly so, who will be the big winners in all of it. But so far, I, I've found the early signs from Jabari to be just as good as I would have expected before the season. And considering how slow his start was, that says a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The next guy to quickly touch on by special request from Jordan Tresky. Mirza Teletovic, as I nicknamed him on Twitter tonight, Machine Gun Telly. That's a keeper. People really like that. Yeah. 
That's it's, rare. That's it's one of the best. That's normally when when I suggest nicknames, I don't get people liking them. So there you go. I got a Jordan Tresky seal of approval as well, which I mean, I'm doing the the AOK. Considering regular listeners will know how passionate you are about nicknames. Yes. Almost, almost uh, ashamedly so, because it doesn't really matter. Um, well, it does got, well, to to get away from Tladovich's new nickname, talk a little bit about your unashamed love of Mirza Tladovich. Okay. Um, I know uh, Giannis. Obviously, we were just talking about Giannis highlights. Just Giannis everything he does. Uh, I know that catches down with everyone. It drives the Bucks in terms of, you know, league pass appeal, NBA followers, all this stuff. The countless vines, all that. Even Jabari to a certain extent, or not a certain extent, obviously Jabari too, is all these dunks, everything. But I, <laughs> I don't, want, don't know what it is. But I just, every time Mirza Sledovich launches or gets ready to launch a three-pointer i get i just get like butterflies i don't know what it is i get i'm ready for whatever for where he's about to take us if the, the ball's about to hit the backboard a la mike carter williams trying to pass uh to i think it was greg monroe i don't know if it goes like that or if it goes straight in i don't know i just find i find that i I get so happy after every three he gets. So when the Kings game happened, uh, I was just dancing like a fool um, in the rain. I don't know. It wasn't raining, and I have a roof over my head. But it was raining trees. It was raining threes. That is true. So, and that's what all the matters, really, because that's why he was brought. Too long. I'm clumsily saying why I like music Sledovich. You're yeah. just spitting words out, which I think just is an example of your excitement. Not a lot of what you just said makes sense, but I think yes. that that he, perfectly sums up the words of On my role playing all stars, he would be the starting power forward. What's that? Um, the annual Zach Lowe economy does the Marcus All. Yeah, the um, Marcus All All Stars. Yeah. He he'd make your ballot for that anyway, right? Oh yeah, he'd be the top. He'd be the first person he'd I would be the stars. Yeah, that's what it'd be called. It would. Oh, actually, either that or like Corey Joseph. It's tough. So while most people tune into books games for Giannis Jabari, you're here for Mirza. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. I it was the same way when uh 2012-13 he had a horrible year but I was I was screaming and not really screaming but I was in delight after every good thing Marquis Daniels did even though there wasn't many. That that says so much about you. That year was terrible. <laughs> it was <sighs> It's again. It's it's also talking to like Jeff Adrian or speaking to the, the Jeff Adrian love that Bucks fans have. 
Or, uh, I mean, Marquise Daniels might tweet at you now that you mentioned them on the internet. I know. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that, that was excitement that you responded. <laughs> that's how uh, excited I am every time someone brings up Marquise Daniels. The true wearer of number six. <clears throat> Moving on to Malcolm Brogdon. I find it hard to maybe decide exactly how high I'd place Brogdon in terms of importance to the books early on, but he's been nothing short of incredible. Mm-hmm. Once again, if we're talking about guys like Yanis Jabari being viewed by where they're at and what they sort of have done before and what you can expect them to do based on that. When the pick was made, we all said, okay, Brogdon's this really experienced guy. He was a senior, was a defensive player of the year. It's a good pick. It doesn't necessarily mean any of that translates from college to the NBA. And he had some struggles in preseason. I think there was concerns about that, particularly with his shot, um, which, look, his shooting has been very inconsistent. His percentages are not good. The difference is, unlike, say, rookie year Rashad Vaughn, Brogdon is finding ways to do everything else really well. He might be one of the most reliable players overall on this books roster. And that is pretty remarkable, all things considered. That is. And like you said, he hasn't been really shooting all that well. Um, But games like... I think like the biggest highlight would probably be the Pelicans game where uh, Giannis had foul trouble, right? I'm going to say it was. There was was two games this week. I want to say the Pelicans game, Brogdon had done very little throughout, and then he just started to come up clutch with play after play in the fourth quarter. Wasn't that the Pelicans game? Wait, say that again? Sorry. Was it the Pelicans game that he started to make really clutch plays in the fourth Yes, yes, yeah, but yeah, like the the N one drive with like yep. four minutes to go or something like that. He had a big three pointer uh in that time frame too. Some somewhere around there. Um and it would have to be because if the they with the blow up Pacers game and the uh, Kings game. No, but that, that's um, right. But Okay, so that was the Pelicans game. He had 14 points. It's career high so far. The next game, the Pacers came to Milwaukee. He had 12 points. Um, made two triples in that game. Two rebounds, five assists, three steals, one block, zero turnovers. And, I mean, considering how this team has a tendency to turn the ball over, they're not actually – they're not the worst team in terms of turnovers by any means. But when the books start turning it over, the floodgates open, and it happens quite a lot in a hurry. Um, yeah. That was one of those games. The books gave it away a lot against the Pacers. Yeah. And – Brockton was just this picture of consistency, serenity even. He was just 
Serenity now. Actually, I'm just just using an S word to describe Brogdon is reminding me of something which you're developing a borderline obsession with, and this is the use of the word savvy to describe Brogdon mostly, but also other books. I mean, Mark. They Mark were talking about the broadcast, and I I said at the start of the season we're gonna hear the word savvy associated with Brogdon every like every time he does something well. And it has not disappointed. I sort of wish we'd been on top of it from before then, and we had you like on a savvy count. Savvy count? I mean, I could go back and count. Can okay, you go back? Watch the first seven games. No one else is gonna hashtag savvy. <laughs> I want to hear from people that have have used the word or hashtag savvy uh, before. <laughs> no one's gonna use that as a hashtag. Only. Some dumb idiot like me can't do that. So yeah, I will count it. I'm convinced that if Malcolm Brogdon had Jason Terry's minutes late in the fourth quarter against the Dallas Mavericks, we we one we'd we might even be nearly finished this podcast by now. There wouldn't have been overtime, yeah. and. It would have been a much more joyous occasion as well, because I think the books would have won and won easily. I would not speak of such matters as that. I don't know. I I, I have no <laughs> I have no idea. I think you have no feeling on whether they would have been better with Brogdon over Jet for like eight straight minutes in the fourth quarter of a close game. My uh my... Jason Terry, for the record, went 0 for 6. My flight time to this conversation has been oh. delayed, so I, I came out to talk about it. Tony Snell didn't have a great game, so I, I sort of get why. I'm saying that. I mean, Snell was a plus 4, Brogdon was a plus 10. Yeah. That's, that's the part of that game that got me down. Obviously not Jordan though. Jordan's cool with jet minutes. I no, the, <laughs> my arrival has not happened. I'm still in the baggage department. I don't know. We've talked a little about Moose already, so I'm going to skip over him. He was he was on our list, but we sort of done that already. Rashad yeah. Vaughn. Rashad Vaughn's real. He's at least real enough. <laughs> He can make trees on more than one occasion. Mm-hmm. Um, he is He's averaging what two threes a game, right? Averaging two trees a game on four point seven. Three, two made threes a game. Two made four point seven attempts, which is forty two point nine percent from three point range. Yeah, he's also zero point eight steals and zero point seven blocks in sixteen point seven minutes a game. The blocks in particular have jumped yeah. out, out of me. I mean, his his awareness when he finds himself sort of in weak side positions. Uh, maybe opposing players are just ignoring him because he's Rashad Vaughn. But yeah. he's now had maybe four plays where he sort of just sneaks up on guys and they don't even know he's there or they're not taking him seriously. And all of a sudden it's a block. And... 
what it reminds me of the only other player similar size i guess same position kyle Korver is great at that really underrated mm. at that has been throughout his career and Korver has this sort of penchant for blocking bigs um, he had a really sort of famous one on Roy Hibbert in the playoffs a few years ago. And Vaughn has that same sort of vibe, which is interesting. The sort of flashier elements of defense have always been there. Last year, there were moments where you'd have a big block or a nice steal. How surprising has it been, though, that he's shot well in more than one game? I mean, let's be, <laughs> let's be real here. Um, well, I, I should say, I think if this keeps up, Rashad Vaughn will receive the first annual Jared Bayless award where this time last year, we were talking Did Jared about Jared Bayless not get the first annual Jared Bayless award. No, because he is the namesake of this. Cause this is the first time it happens. So now he's not dead though. I mean, it's only, you know, just, just hear me out how this is going to work. Because this is a real thing that I will commit to. The Jerry Bayless Award that I just thought about two minutes ago. <laughs> this time last year, or a little bit before that, we were talking about Jerry Bayless and just kind of maybe this is more so Adam, but I was probably feeling the same way. I, we were not happy with Jerry Bayless. We, I hated we Bayless. Yeah. You hated Bayless, and I was. I mean, we were just, so I was not right. Yeah. Uh, we're just questioning where he would fit in this in the Bucks team for some reason. I don't know why. Maybe that's, that's more on me because I just I ask a lot of questions and I don't really get an answer. But anyway, this guy, this question got answered, and Jared Bayless has good last year. And so the the Jared Bayless Award will be for the Bucks player that we <laughs> did not like, spoke ill of, and. Uh, uh, turn around and put. Let's uh, let's be honest. You can. I'm just saying he's he's. You can't he's, pin Vaughn as a lock for that because Michael Beasley and Greg Monroe are also leading qualifiers right now. I know that's what I'm saying. This is a good award. Half this the team are going to be nominees for our Jared Bayless award. Yeah. Yes. The other interesting yeah. thing with Vaughn in the wins. <laughs> he had. Six assists against the Kings. Five assists against the Pacers. Four assists against the Pelicans. This is Rashad Vaughn we're talking about? No, damn it, I'm on Brogdon. I was going to say, I was going to say, wow, remember Point Vaughn? It's back. <laughs> it's not back. Because Vaughn actually Just, didn't Vaughn have a trillion. There's a stat. There's a stat by uh, he had a trillion. Just never mind. Disregard the, that particular thing. Does Vaughn has actually had two assists in seven games? So never mind. Hey, we'll take it. Because he had zero at one point. Last yeah, they both came against the Kings. Last under this the players. Fitting for a king. Tom Maker. Tom Maker, who is, I mean, clearly one of the best players in the NBA at the moment, if we're to judge by per 36 production. That would be 
27 points, 21 rebounds per 36 ton maker. Um, he made a, I think it was against the Pistons he made his, his debut, wasn't it? He had a short one minute cameo where he grabbed a rebound. Don't think he did anything else. No. I mean, that, that was enough. We don't want to get greedy. At one minute, got the <laughs> rebound. Whatever. The next game. Or the game after. Game after, even. Wasn't it the Pacers for, for Maker? Yes. Comes in. The Bradley Center, or at least the half of it that's full, is rocking. Big blowout win. What can make things better? Tom Maker. He comes in. The story, the famous story now goes. This has been a lot of places. I feel like this is something that's just going to stick out in my memory for years. But Kid was basically, he was feeling himself. Things were going great. So they had a timeout. There's like a, <laughs> 70 seconds left. Who do kid, you want to play this? Just got there and went. Who will I get a play for? Well, just tell me. You just basically challenged like me. Like he's like a magician at like a children's party, and he's like asking, like, what kind of balloon would you want? And he's like, I feel it's more than that, though. It's like there's a certain <laughs> level of arrogance to just, well, okay, guys, who will I get a play for this time? Someone someone in the back shouts Steve Novak. He's like, hey, come, come on, guys, come on. So Tom Maker gets out there. Kid delivers on his promise. He gets on his play. Tom makes a tree. Not satisfied with getting Tom Maker one one tree. Kid in the sideline, he signals. Let's do it again. Go back to that. Tom makes another tree. That was a pretty special moment, a special close to that game, wasn't it? It was... It was the oh. oversized cherry to a, a pretty... That was the peak uh, madness moment of this three-game win streak, which the fact that we used to have to talk about like that is hilarious, but the three-game win streak, the famous three-game win streak... The famous three-game... That was the peak. It all started November 1st. When they do that, when they do the 30 for 30 on the three-game win streak, that will be the pinnacle of it, that back-to-back mm-hmm. trees from time. I want to say, Don, in that article, there was an article, he said something about it was the final possession of the game and the 24 seconds, or the shot clock ran out. It was, it was, was this like, was the Matt Velasquez article in the Journal Sentinel. Yeah, yeah. And he was <laughs> running down to like get another bucket because he was just overjoyed, which that would have been amazing, but probably. I think his exact quote was close to, this is me paraphrasing, but if there was another shot clock, I wanted to go with the same play again. I knew I would have scored. Pretty great. You got confidence. And I, I mean... Should have ran that play against the Mavericks brought him in, right? Oh, my God. Sorry, Jordan. Sorry. We were, we were living in a joyous moment, and then I brought back there. I don't know. I, I think if those per thirty six numbers keep up, I think I think the Bucks got a keeper on their hands. Aside from the <laughs> the back to back three pointers, he did also have six rebounds against the Kings. Mm-hmm. 
and he made a nice sort of mid-range two that just over. I want to say it was over uh, scale. Yeah, I think that's yeah. right. His fellow hoop summit uh, matchup, the famed hoop summit matchup. And if we're honest, I mean, really, like how far behind Scalabissier is Tom Maker? Not very yeah. far behind is the answer. I mean, look what Scal went to college and look what he did there. So it's a big deal. Good week for Tom. Let's hope we see more of him. I I did sort of feel watching that game to go there again earlier today. I, I when Yanis was in foul trouble and Jabari's in foul trouble, okay, you don't want to be going to your really unproven tenth overall pick rookie when there's actual meaningful basketball to play. But I, I certainly wouldn't have been opposed to him getting minutes. And I think his offense, his shooting could have helped the books through some of the sort of rough spells they had in that game. Yeah, I mean... Please, second quarter, because Beasley got in foul trouble as well. And they were really... They were really looking for some offense, say, at the four spot. Um, At the three slash four, between... You wanted Mirza and some other guy. I wonder, could they have moved Mirza to the three and put Ton beside Monroe just for a couple of minutes even, see what happens, and then go from there? I don't know. I'm all... I'm, I'm a fan of... Non garbage time thon minutes, even though it probably I wouldn't say it's not hopeful it would work out to be a positive or anything like that. I just just want to see what he can do outside of a, a game time situation where games out of hand. You know what I mean? Like eventually it's going to get to that point where he comes in maybe you know if someone's in foul trouble or maybe who knows he. Starts gaining rotation minutes over someone else. I don't know. Maybe it gets that point. We don't know. But at some point, I, I, I feel confident saying that we're going to get that um, sooner or later. Well, I, I think the reason I want that, um, I feel we agreed on this before the season, but if he was to make some sort of meaningful impact this year, we felt it would be being sort of a pest and being disruptive on the defensive end. And if you're playing garbage time, you don't really get a chance to show anything defensively. No, like, not at all. He has basically, with the exception of the nine minutes he got against the Kings, because that was such a big blow. The Bucks might not get another one of them this year. But Don't say that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that was a big win. They can win by 13 all the time. But to have nine minutes like that, I mean, that's that's rare. But generally in that, in that sort of case where Tons come in, say against the Pistons, it's a great example. Pacers, too. I mean, even though he hit two shots, that was, what, a minute and a half, really? Yeah, both of those games, for different reasons, the opponents just want the game to be over. Mm-hmm. They're basically gonna dribble it out. They don't even need to take a shot. They just—it's just like, come on, can we get this over it already? There's no working to see what someone has to do defensively in that time. So that's the thing. It would be nice if it could sort of get some real minutes and we see what happens. It is time for our predictions, and we've got to hope that. This makes it to the podcast, unlike last week. 
<laughs> where some technical issues held back some really great stuff I must say from me in particular as the Bucks won those first two games where all the rest of our staff and predictions have been doubting them I was like oh of, of course of course the stuff I said about the first two games of the week was lost to records not even no record of it Mm-hmm. Only only Jordan could vouch for it, and I mean, Jordan's hardly reliable now. Oh come on, come on! <laughs> I, I mean, I feel like that second one just proved the point. <laughs> so, I guess the first thing we need to do is go to our leaderboard. Which once again, I'm gonna to have to sort of update on the fly, so this can go. But the the listeners don't know that. Well, they, they I'm saying it because they may well know it because I'm gonna to have to do. They it will right. know it now. So we have Lucas Harkins' record of five and two, seventy-six point differential. He's in second place. See, this is on the fly. So I was on second before mm-hmm. first. It's all gone wrong. In first place, Ty Windish. Five and two, 72 point differential. In third place, Jordan Tresky. Oh, mm. Five and two, 81 point differential. Mm. In fourth place, it's me. Five and two. 91 point differential. I'm gunning for the first over the 100 mark. In fifth, we have Tim Ray at four and three with an 82 point differential. Then Tom Feister at four and three with a 94 point differential. Adam Kaufman is only predicted for six games, but he is at... Wow, he's at 5-1. Impressive for him. Oh, wow. I have to do Ty's part now. It doesn't count because he missed the first game. (laughs) This is Ty's way of just making sure he ranks a little bit higher up. But I'm giving you credit, Adam. Um, 79 point differential and then we have rowan catty who is four and two with a 99 point differential on to this week after a four game week for the books they get some good rest as a short week thursday the books will be back in action against the pelicans with the grizzlies following up on Saturday. Two games in three days, Bowden, Milwaukee. I'll start with the Pelicans. What is your feeling for the finale of the season series with New Orleans? <laughs> um, I wonder if the Pelicans will still be searching for that elusive first win. Could be back-to-back games where they where the face winless teams. teams. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully not an encore performance of tonight's festivities. Um, 
I'll go Bucks by Bucks by fourteen. I'm going Bucks by eleven. I think we we saw in that game the Pelicans just that wasn't that wasn't the Bucks that we saw against the Pacers and Kings. They didn't even hit top gear, and in the end they won that relatively comfortably. Pelicans are in a bad spot. <laughs> You've got Anthony Davis, and then you've got everyone else. Mm-hmm. The Grizzlies on Saturday. How do you see that one going? This is a tough one. The Grizzlies are such a tough team to predict. Um. Let's see. I want to. See, do they have a, a back? Are they on a back to back that day? Um. They're not. They've a pretty easy week as well. They play oh, the, yeah. the Nuggets on Tuesday night, and then they're off until they play the Bucks on Saturday night. Yeah, I'm going for it. I'm, I'm shooting my shot. Bucks by eight. I am going Bucks too. I'm going Bucks by five. Mm-hmm. So to run through our entire stats predictions for the Pelicans game, I go Bucks by eleven. Jordan goes Bucks by fourteen. Ty goes Pelicans by five. Tom goes books by 15. Tim goes books by nine. Lucas goes books by five. Adam goes books by eight. Rowan goes books by 10. So you'll notice Ty Windish still being Ty Windish for the sake of being Ty Windish. Then the Grizzlies game, I got books by five. Jordan books by eight. Ty books by seven. Tom books by seven. Tim Grizzlies by five. Lucas Grizzlies by eight. Adam Grizzlies by one. Rowan books by two. Mailbag time. We have carried over some of the questions from last week's mailbag that we answered but never made it through to your ears. Um, Some of the ones that are still relevant make the cut. And then we've got, of course, this week's submissions too. First one from Alex underscore Koenig 023. Now that Vaughn can play easy and loose, has his option picked up? Can we expect the pulls for the rest of the year? Uh, I think we can. I think we can. We have another a week of games of evidence uh, to suggest that we can expect a semi-reliable Rashad Vaughn. Uh, that is, if he doesn't get DMP weird DMP CDs. Um. Uh, yeah, I, I say yes. Yeah, and he's also he's in, again to remind everyone he's in the running for the Jared Bayless Award, the inaugural award. With about half of the books roster as players who we bad mouthed and they came good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel the extra week does this question. Does this question good? Um, can we accept the pulse? 
we got an extra week's worth, so why not get a season's worth? From at Alex underscore Kenny 023. Jabari's rebounds are up. I'm not sure if they are now. It's probably close enough. Um, is that more attributed to hustle, working at it, or opportunity? More shots falling his way. Is it sustainable, or will it fall to the mean? I want to say he's back at like six, around six again. He's he might just still <clears throat> up, but it's it's been yeah. So he is, he's at six. I mean, his career average is five point three, so mm-hmm. he has come back a little bit, but he is still close to a rebound per game up on his career average. Yeah. Um. I don't know. It's tough. Because I think, like, lineups, if he's playing with, like, Greg Monroe or even uh, to a certain extent. Tony Snell has actually been kind of a surprising rebounder, it seems like, since he's uh, come. I don't, that was just a, that's not I've, a, no, I've, I've seen this, um, and I had this discussion with Ty. People are going crazy for Tony Snell as a rebounder. He hasn't been that good throughout his career i mean he yeah. even jumped out the he they said it on the broadcast that was his third double double and um, the one he had a uh, pacers game maybe i think that was maybe it was the pelicans Pelicans game. but that was only his third career double double and considering this is a guy who once played major minutes in chicago that is unusual yeah but yeah he has Spells at least of rebounding well. Yeah, he's de- right now. He's doubling more than his career average, almost his career average, four point six to two point four. Um. Anyway, to answer the question about Jabari, I don't know. I think I. I, uh, I probably said this last week because I feel this is a question we had last week too. It is, but no one heard it, Jordan. I uh, just opened the curtain. Uh, I'm going to say I will draw it close, and I'm going to say the same answer that I said last week. Surely it's out. That if it's all, that sustainable. All, that was all a big thing there. <laughs> I don't know if it was necessary, Jordan. It probably wasn't. Yeah. Next one from Alex underscore Candy 23 What the hell is going on with Miles Plumlee's play, and why? Isn't he getting minutes? This obviously changed a little bit in the last week, but I I left it in just because I feel like it's something interesting to talk about. Uh, My feeling on this is Plumlee's going to play at a pretty similar level throughout the whole year. You don't see massive fluctuations in his production. But when the books and Yanis and Jabari are playing well, no one will notice what he does. And in the games where even the blame falls on them more than on him, it'll all turn on, well, what's Plumlee doing for his $52 million worth? Do you do you see that too? I mean, I, I sort of think, I, I guess it was doing grades articles that's got me thinking about this because the books have these big wins and you look and it's like Plumlee three points, three rebounds, 
one block. And so I go, hmm, that's not great. It felt better watching the game than it does the next day when you look at a box score. And sort of at that point, I realized, well, the whole idea with Plumley was he was a fit for the starters. So mm. the idea is you don't notice him either way. If they play well, you don't notice him. And he's going to have games like that. So I feel like it's going to be a hard one for Plumley to, to win in the eyes of Bucks fans. To borrow uh, Frank Madden's uh, uh, brilliant joke, it's Pumley is the is a part of the Milford Academy uh, for Arrested Development, where children see neither see nor heard. I mean, that's what it is. Like, if the Bucks are doing well, Pumley is just a team. He makes his team impact um, a positive team impact. If he kind of. <laughs> If he has a bigger stat line than <laughs> than he normally should have, it's <laughs> something probably went wrong. Not a, I mean, uh, if Plumley comes out with a fourteen and fourteen, like the Greg Monroe games we're seeing, if Plumley has one of them, I don't know if I'd be saying, "Wow, that's great, Miles Plumley's earning his contract." It'd be like, <laughs> what is Miles Plumley doing, and why is he getting so many touches? <laughs> yeah, and it turns out it's a game like it's eighty six to thirty five, and it goes to overtime and. <laughs> like it would be in that type of game where it does something like that. Um, yeah, and it, let's. I, I know we get skewed by the post All Star break uh, hubbub, but it wasn't like he after he was sent back to the bench and he was pretty much. Uh, you, I don't think I want to say his minutes weren't all that. Uh, high. Um, oh, they were high. They're probably higher. They, he probably displaced Henson in the rotation, obviously. But I feel Henson's getting more of a shot at the moment. Yeah, it's like okay, prove what you are. Like it was the Kings game where minutes were pretty much split equally, Evil 16, way. 16, 16 between all three centers. Yeah. And I don't know if that kind of center by committee is a really good idea. There should be one guy who stands out more than the others on any given night. Can be tweaked for matchups, so I think that's probably the best way to go. For Plumley though, Plumley isn't that good. And I think we all knew that. If anyone who didn't know that, well, I hate to break it to you, but Plumley isn't that good, wasn't that good. What he was great at was fitting in. And some of the the things that the books need from their center, rim running, sort of solid defensive presence, he can do those things. And him executing and performing those duties well isn't necessarily going to mean you're going to look at a box score and go, wow, look at Plumley, Look at Plumley go, earning that contract. <laughs> so... Go, Miles, go. I mean, if the Bucks win 45 games and Plumlee averages three points, three re- rebounds, and starts like 80 games, Plumlee has earned his money. That's what he was there for. The next one from at DJ Jazzy J1. Is there any correlation between Miles Plumley's facial hair and his level of play? Hashtag bring back the beard. Absolutely. 
I think it, there is for sure. The, the beard looks to be slowly but it's surely. Starting, it's starting to come I up. Think, I think Miles Plumley has realized this too. Yeah. It's obvious. How can you... It was such a key part of the season that got him paid. How can you just... Much like Samson. Much like Samson. Uh, yeah. Miles, Miles Plumley is getting back his powers. How Miles Plumley got his groove back. Growing his beard. That's going to be a Lee Jenkins feature by the end of the year. Boom. From a pencil 2292. Even at 4 and 2, are we still concerned about our defense? Or will that just come with time? Of course, the books are now 4 and 3, but. Let's, again, let's forget. You you want to pretend they're still four and two? So. Yeah, let's just throw it out. Throw out that Dallas. <laughs> They'll just play I'll, I'll, plead, I'll plead to the league office to just. Could you please just throw out that one game? It was abysmal. And <sighs> anyway, um, uh, I, I don't feel, know. I feel this plays into what I was saying earlier, where I think from. A book's perspective, we're so used to defense having to be something they won by. And mm-hmm. particularly with, under Kid, obviously, the greatest success we've seen was based on defense. Like, it wasn't... It was just the defense. It really, there wasn't a whole yeah. lot going on offensively. Yep. From that regard, I think it's harder for books fans to get their head around that the team could give up 105 points a game and still win a lot of games. Win handily. Yeah, I mean, this this team does have they have they have the skills and they have the tools in terms of different guys that when things go well they're gonna win big and score a lot of points and they're also pushing pace more so that also impacts how you view what they're doing defensively. Mm-hmm. I think the defense has been generally a lot better. I mean, if Greg, if Greg Monroe is a plus defender, uh, no matter what the lineup is. Uh, but even if you go true, like Jabari has been better. Mm-hmm. Not saying good, but better. Better. Um, even what you're losing from, say, Middleton, I mean, Snell has been good. And on the bench, you have enough other guys who have been good to sort of make up and surpass just the loss you got from Middleton. I mean, between, say, Snell, Delhi, uh, Brogdon. Brogdon. Even Vaughn to a degree. Yeah, definitely I mean, Vaughn. Been... Definitely Vaughn. I mean, um, Beasley? Sort of. He's good at challenging shots. He's And the one thing I will say is he, he nearly, he looks... He talked about this on media day that he was really excited for the defensive end of the Let's not talk. <laughs> what do you mean? Let's not talk. I thought it was your that was your favorite. I thing. know, but the the comparison that you brought up, I mean, that was just yeah. I'm not, I wasn't going there, but <laughs> he really looks to be trying very hard. Like you see a different sort of focus drive come over him. Then when the ball comes to an offense, he's just like, oh yeah, well I'm going to shoot it now. But on defense, he's like you can nearly see him thinking in his face. That's I, I throw BC in there. 
That's why he's third place in the Jared Bayless annual <laughs> award rankings. Wow, he's third place. Who's first and second? Time will tell. This is a moving ladder. This changes weekly. Okay, so you're setting up that we're going to have to check in weekly for... Yes, we are going to do that. I'm going to dedicate my life and service to this award. Do you think we can, like, uh, get an award and get Jared Bales back to present at the end of the I don't think he would appreciate it very well. <laughs> well we if we, made this, if we, we call made it, like, the, the Black Hole Bayless Award. Yeah. Oh, my God. There we go. We could just call it the Black Hole Award and not have his name and just... <laughs> Give it to like, I don't know. Then if we if we make it just a black hole award, I mean, I think Beasy's a lock. Uh, the next question. Yeah, he'd be first, and he'd be first in the black hole uh, award rankings. From at David Dunn twenty one, we're we're continuing with a team here. Does Plumley need his old haircut back so I can tell <laughs> the difference between him and Telly on my TV? Well, Telonovich got a, a fresh cut. He did. It worked well for him. Did. Uh, yeah, yeah I did. Let's just, just bring back old Plumley. I mean, why mess with it? Mm-hmm. The next one from a finally backer. Why do you think Beasley paints his nails? Well, made. Oh, there we go. There's a the question. Well, made. I don't know. I I want someone to ask him that, that I, even if I have... How has anyone not asked him yet? Even if I had the opportunity to ask him, I'd probably be too scared to ask him. Just well, because he'd, he'd yeah, because it, but it's such a he's weird question. He for the, he's probably waiting for the chance to talk about them. He just... I mean, I get, my answer to the question is really... Why does Beasley do anything? So it's that's what oh. makes it most difficult to, to answer. But they are it's supposedly centered around his mood, right? That was we got that detail from Gus Johnson, I wanna say. Yes. Gus Johnson, we need more Gus Johnson games because he seems to be the only person who has a handle on He gave a glowing review of Michael Beasley's fingernails. He was really sort of he, he liked it. He was all in on it was it's, on par. It was on par with his uh, Dwight Howard. Yeah, it, it reminded me of that. It really did. Yeah. It was like he told this me. is this is a conversation that you had with a player that he might not have wanted to make the broadcast, Gus Johnson. But here you go anyway. Yeah. What is happy? What is the mood color of happy? Is that green? I I don't know. I, I was gonna say yellow because you got like you know like a smiley face. I don't know. I would have green. thought John, green was an interesting. If you, if you have yellow, I would have thought jaundice. I don't think jaundice is a mood as much as a condition. Well, it's a mood yeah. in my book. <laughs> How are you feeling, Jordan? Jaundice. I, I the next one. Do you have to go to the hospital? Yes. <laughs> MC. From a from a J Span Bauer. When Rowe looks better than ever, is this a result of his fit with the second unit? Can he mesh as a starter? More talent than Plumley. That last part doesn't have a question mark. You won't be surprised to hear. Yeah. We won't debate that either. He definitely has more talent than Plumley. Mm-hmm. If he, if it was a, if this is America's Got Talent and they were the final two, Greg Monroe would be 
Miles Plumlee would be doing the X's. I think that's how they do that show. I don't watch it. Um, I don't know. I, I feel that's. I think if this keeps up, that question is going to certainly keep coming our way and everyone's way. But I just think the fact that he's handled, like I said before about Monroe, he's been so cons- consistent. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Battle with the word consistent. Oh my god, I hate that I keep walking in this trap. Oh. So you were saying he, he, even, did they hear that for last week? Did that stay, stay through? I, I don't know, that's a good question. Um, I don't think it did. I probably certainly would have heard dear listeners, if all of you didn't hear, Jordan had some real struggles with consistent last week. Yeah. He had consistent struggles with consistent. Consistent struggles with the word consistency. But anyway, you were saying. Um, what was the question again? Oh, God. I'll answer. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't think you go to him as a starter, even though yeah. if, he, if he plays the kind of defense he's doing now, it could work, definitely. It could. If he, it if could, he could work, yes. If he could have that sort of production from it could work who knows maybe the starting unit is even better i think a big part of what's made the book successful in the soon to be 30 for 30 the three game winning streak three game winning streak what if i told you <laughs> that a team that started one and two they went they won their third next three games from november 1st to november 5th and it delighted the fans of a team to no extent. I lost steam there, but that I, I let Jordan run with that just because I was curious as to where it would end up. Yeah. Um, but uh, what I do think a big part of that run and what they can do going forward throughout the season is that the bench actually has life in it. It's not a complete disaster. Um, it's not maybe is aesthetically pleasing is when the stars are going out and they're playing their style of basketball but to be able to throw the ball down to Greg Monroe and let him score and keep the second unit afloat it's working, it makes sense so mm-hmm. even if he could start, I don't know if it's more beneficial than having him in the second unit is next one from at Josie's which book center is most expendable? I feel this is interesting because I think they're sort of all expendable in their own way. Well, I would say... I think Monroe is least right now, but I think at the same time, like, if... We, we don't need to go back to that, but if something was to... I mean, yeah, they go, okay... I would say uh, Greg Monroe's uh, Sylvester Stallone. John Henson's probably Jason Statham. Oh, God. Uh, wow. <laughs> Miles Plumlee. Uh, I don't know. Um, Come on, finish it. Dol- You've got it. Dolph Lundgren, <laughs> I would say. So does that mean that Greg Monroe and... Miles Plumley are going to have a Rocky Four-esque battle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I mean, they technically, they technically do. Already. 
Who's, a, who's Apollo Creed in this set? Oh. I love how this, this metaphor has now spanned. I was going to say it's two Apollo. franchises, but that's being generous to the Expendables. It's a franchise. Oh, I don't even want to call it anything, but... It's a franchise. It could be a, a B-level franchise, or even it's probably a C-level. Actually, no, D. Um, but it's a franchise. Who's Apollo Creed? We don't have an Apollo Creed yet. No. Um, TBD. That will be whoever falls short in the Jared Bayless award. <laughs> Um, I don't know which which is most expendable. I would. I, wa I, would, I want to say Plumley, but I then also want to say Henson. I I would probably lean towards Henson. Yeah, I I think so. But that's in part because of how inconsistent he is and always has been as well. I mean, yeah. After the Pelicans game, we could be like, wow, what a game Henson had. Yep. And then after the Grizzlies game, we'd be like, yeah, he is definitely the most expendable. Yep. From Atmatastic. How is Jason Kidd going to pull this off? He can't take another ill-advised surgery, can he? Now, me reading that question like that probably doesn't make a lot of sense to you, so I've got to get the context. What Matt accompanied with that tweet was a couple of screenshots. It makes you just think a little bit. It makes you think about, hmm, was Jason Kidd really that whole Joe Pronti era? Was there, did he really have surgery? Because there's this time in March. On March 10th, 11th, 12th, and 13th, Jason Kidd will be in Miami, Florida. Um, busy moonlighting. Yeah, busy moonlighting in his evening job as Pitbull. Oh. Well, the books <laughs> also have games on the 10th, 11th, and 13th. <laughs> what is he gonna what is he gonna do? I was thinking this is quite actually serious. I mean, maybe he could slap a few balls out of um, referee's hands. Yeah. He could tell us all, oh, you know, I don't know. I was I was busy with my Coke and popcorn yeah. when really he was busy entertaining the people with Coke and popcorn. Cork and Popcorn Arena. And, and where? Where is it? No, it's in uh, I, I'm guessing it's in the Heats Arena. Yeah. It's actually, this is obviously just evidence of how big Pitbull, I mean, Jason Kidd, is in Miami. They don't even have, there's the four dates, but they don't have an actual venue penciled in yet. Hmm. I wonder is that like well you know just in case we need to go to a full-on stadium 
At the Hard Rock, the Hard. Where did where does where does the Dolphins play? It's called the Hard Rock, the Hard. Really? Well, not the Hard, but it's called. Well, the hard I, I gathered that part wasn't yeah, but. Okay, Welcome but, to the Hard. Yeah. Yeah, the Hard Rock Stadium. <laughs> that's what it's called. Okay, so that's where. If any of you listening are out in Miami from the 10th to the 13th of March, that's where you can catch Jason Kidd. Yeah. Jason Kidd live and unplugged at the Hard Rock. The next one, once again from Fantastic. This is a question in relation to the book's mannequin challenge. What is, what is you have to. What is where did this start? I mean, you've seen you've seen the box one, right? I saw the box one and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. I don't know what this, yeah, I've, I've no idea what from. it is. Other than the books did it well. The books I had a different one. idea what a mannequin challenge was. <laughs> I don't, I'm, I don't even want to ask for further details on that. No, it's when, no, I, I'm not come on. It's when you put mannequin arms inside your sleeves, try to pick them up, pick things up with it, or try to eat. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, that's just entirely and utterly insane. I don't know where in your brain you thought that was actually the mannequin challenge. No, I was just making a joke, but that's what I would think. But you said it so convincingly that to even think of it to begin with worries me. Well, I mean that that's challenging my eyes. I don't know how everybody else. You just made you reminded me like of the videos where people like record dogs sitting at tables. Eating cereal with spoons. Yeah. Okay. That sentence making this podcast, I don't know. Dogs <laughs> sitting at tables eating cereal with spoons. That describes um, our podcast in a nutshell. Should I put that in the description? Um, so <laughs> I, I have no idea what the mannequin, what, well, I know what it is, but why it is, how it started, no yeah. idea. Um, Where is it? It, it is. Well, I, well, I actually get to the question, though. Cause... Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah. <laughs> is Delhi watching game film with a notebook while everyone else is playing cards a self-aware joke or just amazing? Amazing. I, I think it's fully, that is, that was literally, Delhi was... I want to say there was also one other, was it Teletovic? He was reading a book. He was kind of like... I think so, wasn't... I think... Th- I think the, the two people who on the other side of the plane were a little bit away from everyone else yeah. were Kaledovic and Tan. And I actually only think my theory is that Yanis was probably sitting beside Tan because there was like someone's stuff in the seat beside him. And Yanis was standing in the middle of the aisle. He was the, the guy without a seat. So, yeah, I've, I really, I analyzed it in too much detail. But. Yeah. We don't even, who knows if Delhi even realized it was a mannequin challenge and if he wasn't just like staring so intently at the film. Yeah. Witness. I wish, I wish it was like Beasley staring at the film. Wouldn't that have been great if it was just Beasley sitting on his own? <laughs> blows Everyone mind. else is playing cards and he's just there. Staring at film. Or painting his fingernails. That would I, I love the fact that Delhi uses a notepad as well. I mean, no, like, nothing digital about it. He's he's watching watching the film on a digital device, but he's like, no, gotta, gotta go pen and paper for my notes. Traditional? Like, 
Like you, Jordan. Yeah. Right here. People can't see it, but I have it. The last question from at what the F did I do? Which is sort of fitting when we get to the question then. <laughs> Was that the worst possible shot the books could have gotten at the end of regulation? Yes. Yes. What I didn't understand about it was the fact that they won a game on a game winner. Like, how many days ago was that? Uh, a little over a week ago. Yeah. And they won it because rather than running a horrible ISO like they did in every one of those situations last year, Jabari went to the rim and even when he missed there was a chance for a tip back. And then Yanis goes this horrible ISO. I mean, if someone was going to do that, I think I'd actually prefer Jabari to go ISO and pull up. I just, I have more faith in his jump shot in that situation. It was horrible. I'm trying to think as well, who was on the floor? Terry was still there then, was he? It was that group of uh Terry, Giannis, Jabari. I mean, why? Snell. No, no, not Snell. Who's the other one? Deli, of course, and Monroe. Why are you not bringing Teletovich onto the floor? It's insane. Even if it's just a distraction, if you plan on running an ISO, yeah, that's fine. But it's your final possession. Get I mean, Teletovich gonna... out there. It makes no sense. Completely ridiculous. Yeah. The way Kid managed those final few minutes just make no sense and like that's even by his standards by some weird decisions we've seen over the years just completely bizarre there's no way of sort of computing why those things were happening yeah that was our first true jason kid gaffe of the year well i mean I I've, I've done post-game grades for the last two games before that one and I've given them an A on both games. And I, I just didn't really have anything I could pick at. He was getting like rest for Yanis and Jabari. Uh, the rotation was right. They were blowing teams out. And then to go from that to this was like... I don't know. That's where we're going to finish, though. As As we should. That is it for this week. Thank you for listening. Make sure to check us out on iTunes. Add us on SoundCloud. Follow us on Stitcher. Might be the other way around. Add us on Stitcher. Follow us on SoundCloud. Yeah, that one. Check out all of our work on BehindTheBookPass.com. And we will hopefully be back next week post-election. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.